Gaming on the Frontier. Welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast, your podcast on everything tabletop RPG, totally system agnostic. And now, your hosts. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Dana. And this is Tony. Welcome to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. We've made it, folks. Season 10. Big. Yeah! Big. Just, yeah, yeah. this is... This is big for me and Bruce. I mean, he's been here since the beginning. He's what, you know, we would call the OG. I came in halfway through season two. We apologize for the summer hiatus, but there was some retooling going on, and we've changed some things around. Um, Before we get on the subject, I do want to bring up a couple of points. One, Mr. John Ryer, another one of the charter members. He now has a role-playing game company, taking after Richard Tahulka, called John H. Ryer Games. And the company has gone on like gangbusters. He is selling games left, right, and center. So he has taken up that as his primary responsibility. Bruce and I are very happy for John that he's doing this, that this has taken off like it has. We've wished him the best of luck. It wasn't an easy decision for him to leave the podcast but it's because this business of his has just taken off and we wish not john nothing but the best for this as far as josie professor pixie as of this taping she's ready to give birth at any time so josie will be on occasionally but let's face it bruce and i and i know tony we're parents we know that a new baby takes up a lot of your time josie is still involved but just she's still on kind of semi-maternity leave right now so josie you're the one with the double x chromosome Uh, yeah Um, she, uh, yeah, as I said, as of this taping, she should be ready to pop any time. And just so that's why she's been off the podcast for a while. So this means new changes for the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. We have two new co-hosts. Um, we have Dana and we have Tony. Uh, Dana, would you please introduce yourself, sir? Uh, I'm Dana. Mostly I just, uh have a history of playing lots of games and things like that and um i mean i have an interest in in kind of running things and i know that bruce has experienced a little bit of my fledgling dm skills um and uh past that you know i i just uh i enjoy role-playing games and i enjoy the role-play aspect of that and just getting the opportunity to play new characters and and test out new systems uh how long have you been a tabletop gamer dana uh since i was 17 so that would be just over 17 years now wow okay that is good uh what particular uh systems and settings have you done just for example um i've tried D uh the Bureau 13 system, uh, particularly Bruce's edited version. Um, I have tried Pathfinder. Oh, man. Uh, I have tried... I'm, I'm trying to figure out... I'm trying to remember what the, the thing we do with Friendsworthy was. Uh, the Wild Talents, I think it's called, or, or Wild... It, it's No, it's... Uh, we're using Savage Worlds. Savage Worlds, that's it. I do, however... There is actually, now that I think of it, a, a Wild wild Talents, I believe it's called, which is a superhero RPG okay. that I tried out. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, oh goodness, I, I've, I've actually played a lot of like little uh, minor things that I can't even remember the names of at this 
point. Um, but uh, I probably have not tried out nearly as many uh, versions of different games as Bruce has, but I've I've had uh, I've had my share of like homebrews. Okay, all right, and Tony. You, sir, um, how long have you been gaming and what games have you been into? Uh, probably about 15 years, 16 years. Um, just been huge, huge into Shadowrun. Uh, oh, yes. Been on and off in uh, tabletops, uh, more of a video gamer, just getting back into it the last year recently. I played Pathfinder for a while, and uh, me and a couple buddies were into Werewolf Apocalypse for a little bit. But, uh, yeah, just looking forward to getting back into it, really. Finally having a little free time to start actually gaming. Oh, yeah. Um, now, Dana is of Bruce's gaming group, and Tony is a co-worker of mine, and we just hit it off, and I mean, very fast friends, and just so he, I told him about the podcast, and he was like, I want in, so here he is now. So, we have them both here, and tonight's topic is something I've wanted to do for a while, and just, the stars are right. It is bringing in real-world cults and secret societies into your role-playing game, and again, we are now system agnostic, so... This is not something just about Bureau 13 or whatever. This is, I mean, you can do it in, you know, uh, you can do it in Chill, you can do it in Beyond the Supernatural, any other modern modern fantasy or futuristic role-playing game. Now, certainly there's lots of opportunity to do it in, like, Cyber XXX. Oh, yeah, oh. Ci- yeah, Cyberpunk, they would have definitely secret societies that'd be more technologically based than magically based, but then again, like Shadowrun, you never know. Oh, really? I mean, you have in a Shadowrun, not to talk over you, trying to not no, no, do that. No, no, but, uh, go ahead. But in Shadowrun, that's the whole, the draw of it is you have the technology with the Matrix where you jack into the system, into the Matrix, but it also brings the element of magic and fantasy and mana, and uh, that's what always uh, drew to me, was uh, the fact it had kind of that dun- or like D&D and like Final Fantasy element, but combined the futuristic technology part of it. So, I mean, you could go off in any direction. Oh, yeah. We, we did an episode a couple years back about uh, Final Fantasy fantasy and we had my co-host dirty red and involved in it because that's her game so oh yeah so we have um now most of us know when you say a secret society or a cult we have certain ideas based on just media over the past couple hundred years i mean the most obvious one would be ones like the illuminati the freemasons uh so things like that what was that majestic 12 i believe that is in my list yes Yes, and and Tony brought up some. We'll bring it up later. Um, now bringing this into your role playing games, and of course we have three eras of role playing. You have your fantasy based games, which are in like medieval and Renaissance era. We have our modern era games, and then our future based games. It could be cyberpunk, it could be space opera, it could be you know hard science fiction like FTL twenty four forty eight. And secret societies can take on an either mystical component like the Illuminati or the Freemasons, or a more technological component like majestic. 12 or the men in black or the nsa um i'm recently binging person of interest the cbs series that was out a couple of years ago and the secret society that was backed by the ai samaritan would be a good example of a technologically based secret society where you have agents you have certain protocols that you deal with and so that would count a lot of governmental groups that we will be talking about in the in this topic often have a governmental backing so right, but don't forget about sense eight where they there was a secret society because they were all linked kind of telepathically. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, Habibi and I only got to the first episode of that and just we never got back to it. Yeah, I I remember hearing something about that. Okay, so conspiracies through the ages, 
as I said, there's fantasy, modern, and future. Now, with fantasy, having secret societies in a fantasy campaign, the whole point of secrecy, when you bring in magic into the fold, that's really easy to keep a secret society because you do things like modify memory, illusion, shape-changing. You can hide a secret cabal really well because you could sit there and just, it was an illusion, you didn't see that. Or, yeah, I don't remember what happened for those five hours a couple days ago. Just, you know, it's all a blur and you just write it up. Maybe I drank too much or, you know, I just, I've been busy and I blotted it out or whatever. And so with fantasy settings, you can also keep secrecy because a lot, remember, a lot of fantasy settings, they don't have the geopolitical entities so much like we do. I mean, a lot of city-states didn't have all that much room as opposed to, like, how we have our nations today. So, it's a lot easier to keep a secret because of smaller population. And... Right, but once you identify somebody as a member of a group with a secret, then you've got things like charm and a zone of truth that make it really hard for them to keep that secret. Yeah, see, that's the thing. Magic can have a play in keeping a secret society secret or exposing it. Yeah, and but then, I mean, course, also all the tools that you come with magic, like invisibility, darkness, uh, misdirection, um, all the you know all the the cantrips that allow you to do ventriloquism, sending message, all those things that you know are pretty much. Uh, uh, you can't interrupt them. It's not like a messenger who goes running around and you can grab him. A lot of these magical means of, 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 of communication are pretty much proof against any of that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. Um, and, of course, you have secret societies using things like scrying and crystal balls to sit there and keep surveillance on people. That just make that brings a total <coughs> fear factor into your game, realizing that wherever you go, there's a good chance that this secret cabal is keeping an eye on you or an ear or, you know, some sensory organ. What was that? Can I chime in? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, you can actually, like, if you're talking about, like, the secret society and, like, conspiracy theories, you can actually tie it in, like, if you're going with a modern aspect on the game, um, to, like, even, like, social media because there's, like, tons and tons of YouTube videos out there of, like, reptilian, like, shapeshifters that are, like, secret service members and, uh, part of the president's entourage and, like, government officials and, uh, there are tons of videos out there whether they're real or not that you can actually like tie in you know to give like a real world like modern aspect like game oh no 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 there there's there's uh later in this list there are the 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 reptile that brings up yeah that that's uh so yeah that is there and i mean with fantasy games you can have races from the underdark like you know bruce's favorite the drow and and you can probably hear the smile on my voice as i'm saying that. <laughs> i just meant in a creative perspective when you're actually writing the strip like you know to create a world, uh, if you said in the modern times, you could actually use like stuff like that along the lines as like reference. You know what I mean? Like you could actually um, refer that to a character's experience of seeing a video like that on YouTube before you know actually seeing it in person. Or there's so many ways you could actually run with that. Well, that, that's one of the things that you do in Bureau 13 with their disinformation department, is that the whole premise of that game is that everything that you thought was fiction, no, it's real. Bureau 13 just has a really damn good 
disinformation department. I need to, I need to familiarize myself with that a little more. Um, I, I will get you the materials on that, Tony. That that's not oh, a problem. Thank you. <laughs> Mind of uh, they live. John sort Carpenter. of, yeah, yeah. That that could fit in. You know, the 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 slogan of Bureau Thirteen that we've had on the podcast for years is "All stories are true." Yeah, you know what's crazy about that? John Carpenter actually came out in an interview and said that was a documentary. It was a forewarning of things to come. <laughs> oh no, there's a lot of films <laughs> we're finding that are prescient now of what's going on. And that totally sounds like John Carpenter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they made a documentary. It's actually on YouTube. It's called They Live Too. And it talks, he has a whole movie. It's like an hour and a half long about how he describes how uh, we've evolved into like the They Live culture. Not exactly extraterrestrial, but like the hidden hand running everything. Oh, yeah, the power behind the throne. Oh, yeah, that's been going on. Yeah, a lot of people have talked about that. Uh, yeah. But, well, with yeah. Fan- as I said, with fantasy, with secret societies... Magic is going to be the thing that can either make or break them. Now, modern, it's going to be a lot. I mean, you can still have magic because depending on your game style, you could have groups like the Masons and their rituals be magical based. Oh, yeah. Now, a lot of the stuff that I'm getting this book, this book I have here, and Bruce knows the D20 stuff I have, the OGL stuff. It is from Sylvan Publishing, the Flaming Cobra imprint. It's called Secret Societies by Landon J. Winkler. And there, it, it talks about a lot of the modern day secret societies and how they can apply to past, present, future roleplay. So, okay. And, and just, this guy did his research. I'm, I'm quite impressed and I've used this in games that I have besides Bureau 13. Other games that I've ran over the past, you know, four or five years, because I got the PDF before I got the book, and yeah. I just inserted real-world stuff about secret societies into this game, into the particular game, and then people were like, you know, my gamers are like, where do you, and I just hand over the book, and they're like, oh my gosh, this is creepy, Trav. And so modern games, you can do magic or technology. As I said, the the, ser- the CBS series Person of Interest, that was all tech, but still, you had people, because of the machine and Samaritan tapping into phones, emails, texts, traffic cameras, webcams, everything. You didn't know when or where you would be watched and you had to be really careful on where you went or otherwise you'd be picked up by these AIs. And the whole point of the AIs is that they were made to detect terrorist threats and other violent crimes. So with enough time, these AIs could pick up what you were doing. And so a modern conspiracy game, let's see, besides Bureau 13, there was, I want to call, I want to say the TSR-1 Alternity. Yeah, Dark Matter, that's what it was. And later they turned uh, Dark Matter into a D20 modern splat book. Trying to you, know what, uh, you know what would be an interesting concept, actually being falsely uh, identified by facial recognition technology and implicated in a serious crime even though you're in it. Oh, that would be a wonderful adventure because then you'd have to sit there and deal with, you know, you'd have to not only clear your name, but most likely likely find the person who happens to look a little bit like you or went out of their way to disguise themselves like you and figure out, well, why'd you do it? Why'd you pick me? You know? Yeah. I'm surprised that doesn't happen more often. I agree, because the algorithms they use are nowhere near perfect. Oh, no. No, no, no. Just look at Facebook when other people are are getting tagged. Um, What's mind-blowing to me is there's stores in, like, Seattle and some of the major cities like uh, New York where uh, they have uh, Amazon stores set up where once your card is linked to your account, once you walk in the store, you can literally pick anything up off the shelf, and it'll bill your card because of facial recognition technology. It tells you uh, that could be good and bad, yeah. Terrifying. Yeah. Me. But modern modern conspiracy gaming, as I said, it can go it just depends on what how long the secret society has been around. Well, the whole concept of fear is what you're bringing up in this is uh what can you add to a game that will increase fear? And there's nothing worse than like real world, like modern day. We live in this 
the cusp right now of like a technological evolution where literally everything is becoming computerized. You can use your phone to see what's in your fridge now to see if you need milk. You know, you can look at the implications that like I was saying like the algorithms for facial recognition or even when people log into your phone you get an alert. You know, you can go so far with that. And existential terror is like being implicated in a crime based off like what a computer judgment is because it's a non-human entity. Yeah, that's the and, whole, that was the whole point of Person of Interest where yeah. the main characters were like, okay, we get the social security number, we do the research, are they victim or perpetrator? Yeah. And a lot of times they were thrown for a loop just because of um, conflicting information, then they would figure it out. And then yeah. the other AI Samaritan was coming on. The machine was kind of hampered because the creator didn't want it to go too awry. The people who made Samaritan and got it online had no such compunctions. So Samaritan was willing to kill people to try to stop world hunger. So that's something you have to take into account with a modern conspira- uh, modern game that deals with secret societies, which usually nine times out of ten it ends up turning into a conspiracy game, which is fine, because yeah. conspiracy role-playing games, you could really mess with your players' heads. I mean, there's a topic later on the list about what if everybody was, you know, you had your characters, but more than one character was, they're either, like, half the party's in a secret society, or a bunch of people are in different secret societies, so they all have differing agendas. So they got to role play on the outside of being nice, yet still fulfilling their personal objectives. Yeah, that's the basis for paranoia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, I haven't played that in ages. Wow, that's a blast. Well, that was one of the things, too, I was saying earlier when I texted you, Trav, is uh, talking about, uh, like, being on the run and going off the grid. You could uh, create a survival horror RPG instead of just, like, a straight conspiracy. Um, Like what I was saying about uh, the different uh, facilities, like Area 51 and the Griotta Treaty, where we made a deal with the Greys that you can abduct so many people a year in exchange for technology. And uh, you could, you know, stumble across that and be an unwilling witness to it. And then they're hunting you down and you have to survive and escape and go off the grid. Yeah, I've always liked the idea of uh, things like that um, where, well, you know, traditionally in a role-playing game, you're always in this situation where as long as you make the right decisions, not only will you come out with success, usually you you end up with all kinds of accolades and, and really, you know, powerful as a result. Uh, I love the idea of a true horror situation where uh, the object is to survive, not to, you know, become, you know, famous or whatever like that. Uh, You know, sometimes even there isn't a way to destroy the evil big bad guy. The only way to keep on going is simply to escape. Because that always seems to be it. It's always like, oh, well, I picked up my grandfather's old sword. Eventually, I'll be strong enough to take on Mr. Big Bad. Maybe not right this second, but eventually it'll happen. But everybody knows that's not really realistic. Usually you pick up your grandfather's old sword, you're lucky if the common soldier doesn't murder you. You know? Exactly. See, you're like me, that's our age group. I'm 32, and you're, what, 34? Like, with our age group, uh, it's, like, non-traditional. Like, I know what you're saying, like, a Zelda. Like, you know, you get the sword, you defeat the bad guy. I like non-traditional, non-linear RPGs. Like, where the idea is, like, straight survival. Yeah, um, with... With the games that where you're barely just, you're alive, that's the reward. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, I, mean, I there, understand. There are some, there are some like younger role players that may not like that because they 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 have this idea of okay, these are how the game should be. That would be right. something for more experienced gamers like the four of us, where we have at least fifteen years each under our belts. Yeah, and, and so you would want, as I said, that I don't think that would satisfy a younger role or okay, not a younger, a less experienced tabletop game. Yeah, because that's the thing. Like younger, uh, younger gamers, we played all these. Like, no offense, but you're the older generation. Yeah, we played your games in like that format. And that engine and like that game system and uh once you play that you actually you know you get bored with it i mean it's like playing the same video game over and over again you look for something new and off the wall and like oddball and like a new genre and when you're stuck in a situation where it's literal survival and you know not leveling up to defeat like he was saying like the big bad boss you know by drawing a sword out of the stone you know you actually you get to the point where you just want something completely different so are you saying that uh people don't want to play so that their characters get glory anymore you still have a group of people to do that but with the with the younger generation it kind of gets to the point where you want something a little more intellectual like you want a reason to uh survive you know like you're living off the grid you're being hunted by someone or chased by like a fringe group or a fringe cult because you saw something you shouldn't um instead of like the typical like dungeon crawler you know what i mean okay all right uh so you and what about uh the whole, uh, you know, gaining money and and uh, knowledge and equipment to become the most powerful person in the world. That's well, looting, not... looting. Say you're in a survival horror style game like what I was describing, you could loot, like, you know, break into cars, but you run the risk of being arrested. You have to, you know, have stealth to do it, you know, and uh, you reap rewards through that system, and by gaining knowledge by uh, surveillance, and seeking out and learning what your enemy is doing, how they're following you, I mean, there's so many ways you can run off with that. Well, yeah, your character, and after a while, the player has to learn finesse, that not everything requires all the time emptying a clip into something, or putting a knife or a sword through it, that you have to use tactics, reasoning, and planning. That was, what was that? that was really common in like old traditional like dungeon crawler RPGs. Yeah. It was strictly about leveling up to defeat the big boss. Instead, it, There was strategy. I mean, there is a lot of strategy, but when you actually get into it, it's pretty much, you know, D&D and other games like that that came before were the ones that inspired like video game RPGs, like yeah. the early ones. For NES, um, it just you know they did they digitized you know what people were doing at their tabletop, and uh, as time went on, people got burned out with that. And that's why you look at like different expansions of like different types of RPG. You know, you go from action style to uh, turn based, and then you know times turn based, and uh, it's just as people get smarter and get more comfortable and familiar with games, they want to see something new because you do get burned out after a while. Oh yeah. Now with far future games, I mean you have so many different settings with what would be known as science fiction. You have post-apocalyptic, you have cyberpunk, you have space opera, you have far future, um, and just depending on the genre, secret societies can take on a different, a different feel. Like Gamma World, the world is broken, humanity is, is, has been devastated and, and decimated to like a minuscule percentage of its population. So, if you have secret societies, they're gonna often have, and depending on how far after the apocalypse that this game is, a lot of them could be based on like, oh, we are based on the old, we are the cult of the egghead, that we are trying to revive the ancient machines that thought for us. In other words, they fashion their their secret society on computer geeks, you know, or... That's really funny that you randomly said egghead, because uh, there's a... Listen, there's an RPG 
on Dreamcast called Elemental Gimmick Gear. If you get a chance, look it up. Huh. It's about egg-shaped machines <laughs> that uh, existed like 500 years in the past, and uh, people find one in like an ancient Mayan temple and resurrect it and find out that it's like super futuristic technology, and they try to emulate it with like diesel and gas engine-powered robots that look like the prototype that they found. Random-ass Ubisoft game. Okay, yeah, I've heard of Ubisoft. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. When I, when I, when I think of future... That's funny. <laughs> funny you mention that. Well, okay. when I think of futuristic um, survival-type games, then I think more toward the side of cults, because you have a group of people who essentially have gotten separated off and splintered off on their own, and they're doing their own thing, which can be pretty bizarre. Yes. You know, often, you know, and their their thing, and they don't, it doesn't, they're not really a secret, just nobody knows what they're doing. Yeah, in the <laughs> Doctor Who World of Darkness mashup that Perky Goth and I run on every other Sunday, for our one friend Anthony, he made a character, and it's a Venara, which is the humanoid monkey from Pathfinder, 65th century, a very splintered off group of Christianity, and they honor death. So they know funeral rites, and they kind of look like executioners. I mean, they don't go around killing people, it's just they honor the concept of death as the circle, as the part of the cycle of life. And so I just, out of thin air, I pulled, okay, and he came up with Lady Mara, which I think is from some video game or something, and I said, fine, Our Lady of the Imminent Demise, and it's stuck. And it is this cult, this sect of Christianity in the 65th century that just formed, and of course it's Doctor Who, so he ended up becoming Saint Aslan, the saint that started it all, and Anthony just looked and went, son of a... I kind of threw that back at him, he's looking at me like, Trav? But cults, a lot of times, in far future, are often... I've seen splinter groups of more established groups that have been set, and like Bruce said, they're just doing their own thing. They're not so much secret, it's just they've deviated so much from the core concept from which they came. Well, um, see, you can do the polar opposite with that if you're going far future. Because, uh, like, for one, there's a, uh, a short story by Ray, Brad- Ray Bradbury called Pillars of Fire, where the main character, I forget his name, it's been a couple years since I read the, the story, but he wakes up, like, four or five hundred years in the future, and he finds that the entire planet is dominated by, like, one government, and they have run out of space to bury people, and uh, they cremate literally everyone. And uh, he loses his mind because he has the old-school Christian values from the 50s where everyone should have, you know, a, a true, proper Christian burial. And he murders a bunch of people because of, like, a bit of hysteria. And uh, even, like, the Twilight Zone episode, uh, The Obsolete Man, where the state in the far future literally controls everything, and they talk about Stalin and Hitler and Mussolini and, uh, uh, at the time, Kim Il-sung, the North Korean original, the founder... Yes. about how they have, like, a one-world government where everything is, and the state controls everything. You can go, like, both sides when you're talking about far futuristic. You can have splinter groups where everything's tribal, like Tank Girl, or uh, yeah. Mad Max, or you can have, like, a one unified, solidified, oppressive government that controls everything. And that's funny, because that's the next topic. We're talking control levels here. And, yeah. Um, wonderful seg, by the way. Uh, total control, one society. Total control, many societies. And partial control. Now, total control, one society would be like Tony just said the one world government they run everything yeah they run everything but they've got their secret agendas and in that aspect they're secret they may have by the way that segue because it was uh, I have the notes right here yeah yeah We do have a bit of professionalism, folks. This podcast is is now starting its tenth season. We had to have gotten this far for some reason. Um, I had to, I had to set my game up for my premiere. 
the uh, television show The Co- uh, Colony is very much like that. Okay. <laughs> people think they know what's going on at the local level, but then there's other things going on at a higher level that no, even the top people at the local level have no idea why th- these directives keep coming down, where people go, why things keep happening the way they do. They don't understand any of it, you know, but they just keep on doing taking care of their little plot of ground, so to speak, when there, there are much bigger agendas going on. Yeah, and, I, and, the pe- and the people that might seem to be uh, the enemies might actually turn out to be heroes in the end. Oh, well, yeah. It, oh, there was a phrase and it just escaped me. Uh, it'll probably come back to me later. Um, this type of setting, paranoia is the big thing because if your entire government is controlling everything, you don't know at what level it's going to be. And again, this could be magic or tech, depending if it's fantasy, modern, or future. Or it could be both again. If you involve magic or... Okay, the supernatural, because let's say we use psychic powers, we throw that in. You could okay. have a psi elite, you know, like, um, and it was on Fox, it was a movie, um, a Minority Report, that's what it is. And they used psionics, and I think it was tech back psionics, for the Bureau of Pre-Crime, where they were arresting, you know, the secret organization working for the government was arresting people for crimes they hadn't committed yet, because through psionics and tech, this person's going to murder this person in six hours. Let's arrest them now. And so if this one society is totally controlled by some entity, aliens, the Illuminati, or a government organization, or a hundreds-year-old group, paranoia is going to be the big thing. Conan. <laughs> no, I didn't catch what, what was that. I said the cult of the snake. From yeah. Conan. Yeah. False yeah, <laughs> of doom, yeah. Um, but, yeah, now with modern total control, one society, I, yeah, it, it kind of, because modern society, we have, what is the word, balkanized planet? Because how many countries do we have on this planet? Like 100, almost 200 different nations? 180, I believe. Yeah. And, I mean, not all of them are in the U.N. I mean, I, there are a few that just are not part either because they're not recognized. No, but out of the 180, 160 of them, I think 160 or 162 are considered free states. Okay, so we it, modern conspiracy games, you're not going to have... If it's total control one society, it's going to be of a particular nation. Like the United States has the secret society or whatever group that runs everything. Well, what Again, about Interpol? What was that? You, what about Interpol? Interpol, you have the international police... And uh, not everyone's in NATO, but the United Nations comprises everyone. And there's, like, U.N. security councils, and there's higher up, like, you know, delegates that work for the U.N. Yeah, but, it would it would have to be, in your game, Tony, you'd have to put that, the U.N. and Interpol have a lot more power in your game than they do in real life. Because Interpol, all that is, it's a big information gathering group. That's all yeah, Interpol it's a, is. And the, the UN, global surveillance. And the U.N., it's basically, we meet together to discuss things that happen across borders. But the UN well, we nations, but we have the UN Security Council, which is comprised of not only uh, the NATO alliance, but because uh, like Saudi Arabia is on, you know. But it's not a well. Uh, we have the five basic, which I think is like U.S., Russia, China, Japan, and Great Britain are the five permanent members of the general of the Security Council. Then man. I think you have other ones that switch out every few years. It's all the it's all the countries that actually hold a nuclear weapon. I know France is one of them. Um, but yeah, you're right on that. Um, the actual Security Council is all the pretty much uh, the nuclear weapon holding nation. Well, I mean, that was, uh, yeah, well, because the UN came out in the 40s, 50s, yeah, and by then we had atomic weapons, oh, so. Yeah, that's why they were created. Yeah. 
And yeah, it was originally, uh, what was it, um, the League of Nations. It was actually created after World War One by Woodrow yeah. Wilson, the League of Nations, and it evolved after World War Two into the actual United Nations. Well, the thing yeah. is, the League of Nations, there were many reasons why it didn't work out. One of them was that, and if, if you know the knowledge of the artificial language of Esperanto, the guy who created it, Ludwig Zamenhof, yeah. a Polish ophthalmologist, yeah. he was also Jewish. So he yeah. kind of did the package deal of, yeah, Esperanto will be our world language, but Zionism is also the world's religion of we do that and they just said nope and so the league of nations along with that and other factors it just sort of fizzled out but it did well, give a us cool the conspiracy ba- to tackle if you think about it that would be a really cool conspiracy to say that it never died you had the creator of the original league of nations who had predecessors and heirs to push zionism worldwide which is actually a huge conspiracy theory right now yeah they're 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 still in uh palestine in the west bank you know you could tie that in easily Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, bring in things like Mossad, which we'll talk about later. Um, But, yeah, so modern... So that's total control one society. It would be... You would have to give world-spanning organizations that in real world don't have as much power, giving them a lot more. Like the UN is actually a world government in your game. You would have things like Uncle or Until or Unit from Doctor Who. Some type of law... um, law keeping or that law enforcement group backed by the UN, often manned by members of different nations, usually army or paramilitary who volunteer their people to this force, and they would you know police the planet. You have that in superhero games. You have that in some um, urban conspiracy games where the UN has power. But yeah, the GBI real- from Command and Conquer. <laughs> okay, that's but, like their whole purpose. They're basically UN's uh, peacekeeping force in in the game. Well, as I said, until was in uh, the Champions universe from Hero Games. That was their thing. Unit for Doctor Who. Uncle, of course, you know Napoleon Solo and Ilya Kiryakin. You know. But yeah, you would just it, that that would be the main thing. Total control one society is that world government, and they have things going on behind the scenes as well as a public face. So you would have until or unit or uncle. Well, uncle was probably would be considered the secret society because they were not generally known to be public assets of the United Nations. They were spies, and especially the the recent reboot with uh, Henry Cavill and Army Hammer that came out, um, I think, two, three years ago. Yeah, good movie. Yeah. Someone seriously named their kid Army Hammer. Yes, I am not surprised. It's it's Armin Hammer is the full name. Yeah. Oh, my God, they seriously did that on purpose. I'm sorry that I had to. Yeah, I I realize that it sounds like the name of a... uh, uh, of a, a freshener uh, yeah, product, soda, yeah. but I think it's actually uh, it's, it, it's, it's I, I think he's Prussian, you know, and it actually made a lot more sense, you know, from that standpoint, from the family name. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we have now total control many societies. Now, for that, I would say that's more along the lines of multiple organizations where you would have, they would all work toward a common goal, but they all cover their own geopolitical entities. Like, the U.S. would have their controlling faction. Great Britain would have their, France, Russia. And they might all meet up now and again and have information together. Yeah, and this then they sounds would... like a star chamber kind yeah, of yeah, concept. Yeah. But the, they, they... The, the secret society that rules the planet. There was a movie years ago, and I was was told about it, and it had Michael Caine in it, so this was like the 60s or something, and it was, he brought up that, yeah, there's 10 people on this, on this whole planet that control everything. I forget the name of the movie, it was something in the 60s, I know Michael Caine was in it, that's it. 
but basically something like that. And these ten people might have been from different parts of the planet, but they ran everything. They were that powerful. And that would that could go in a fantasy vein where you just have like kings and emperors and pharaohs and whatnot who just from their various parts of the of the game world and they meet up every so often like a secret council and they okay, this is what we're gonna do with our area, this is what we're gonna do with our area. Yeah, see you next year. We'll find out how it works. Um modern, as I said, it would be the US has theirs, Britain has theirs, France, Germany, you know. And then future, you could bring that up to planets. Well, depending on your type of sci-fi, again, post-apocalyptic space travel really isn't an option, but something like space opera or um that's not necessarily true if you watch the, the godzilla anime um speaking of which uh warehouse 13 has a, a similar yeah. situation to what you're talking about with uh the different people from different areas being the real power behind everything um they're they effectively have the power over the warehouse 13 top secret facility but it's understood by the people who know what they're who know what's going on that anybody who controls this facility oh yeah yeah, it's a great, a great concept, great show, uh, made by the same people that made Eureka. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, so there's always that sort of thing. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Well, yeah, if the, you want to talk like uh, post, like uh, futuristic, but like post-apocalyptic, uh, watch the Godzilla, the new ones on Netflix, the anime. It's that. Ba- it's basically uh, we realize we can't defeat Godzilla, so we flee the planet with the help of extraterrestrials. We see we're being decimated by this monster we created, so they uh, go to seek another planet that's habitable, and they spend 20 years in space and don't find anything. So they decide that they're going to go back and fight him. So it's a very post-apocalyptic, but because of uh, the theory of relativity, because they have uh, non-warp capabilities, yeah. uh, they accelerate close to light speed, but when they return back to planet Earth, it's like a 1,000 or 2,000 years in the future. Oh, Extremely yeah. post-apocalyptic. They find isolated colonies of humans that survive, but they reverted back to like uh, very tribal and primitive. But uh, that would be a very interesting concept. Um, yeah, if you get a chance, watch that. It's very, very futuristic. The post-apocalyptic that isn't Mad Max or awful. I saw the first episode of that. Um, I've been meaning to check out the next couple. There's two right now. The third one with King Ghidorah comes out uh, in December, I believe. Okay. And I'm like super stoked because I'm like a mega, mega Godzilla fan. And uh, yeah, when I saw the anime launch, uh, my wife and I, uh, we watched both of them back to back. And uh, yeah, super stoked about the third one. But the concept, um, it's different because uh, there are two timelines in the Godzilla timeline. Either he's the savior or the enemy of Japan. And uh, the take on this one is completely different under this completely different writer, but that would be something, you know, not even considering like a giant monster. You know, it could be a natural disaster or global warming. We destroy the planet in 100 years, 200, 300 years, and we flee and we can't find something and we come back and try to, you know, um, what is it in a Star Trek, uh, the geoforming? Ter- uh, terraforming. The 100? Terraforming, you're right. Y'all That's familiar with the 100? That's the general idea of that is uh, mankind flees to a space station after they've effectively ruined the planet and radiation has taken over um, from some sort of global warming or something. And, uh, you know, far in the future, several generations in the future, they end up sending down a hundred people as a test subject. Um, effectively, a hundred people who have been convicted to death, um, which everyone's pretty young because people don't survive very long out in uh, out in space, even on a space station. And so uh, these one hundred young people are sent down to see if they can survive at all. And if they can, then maybe the people on the space station won't all die when it finally fails. Um, so uh, yeah, it's, a, it's the same general concept. That that is always it's always great uh 
when you have something like that where you you take people out of their comfort zone and you know society is just not what it what it could have been um but then you know me i'm always i'm always about you know finding unique situations so (laughs) oh no that's awesome from a creative perspective. Okay, so now we have partial control, where many people would say we how we lie in the real world. Yeah, secret ex- society exists. They may have some power, but they're not running everything. You might have a secret society that... Okay, I'll give a perfect example. From Bureau 13 uh, OGL and Bruce, the Kabbalah families that Eric the Enabler and I made, where right. you had... Okay, and Eric, a former co-host on my radio show, the Travcast, he and I came up with this concept, and it was through the Bureau 13... Uh, playtesting we did. Certain families run certain facets of society. You have, like, a family in Singapore that runs tech, because Singapore is the most technologically advanced city on the planet. You have a couple of shipping magnets that run global maritime stuff, as far as shipping freight across oceans. They run that. You have... What was some of the other ones? You had, um... People running certain business, like the Price family up in Augusta, Maine. They were captains of industry, and they also sort of dabbled in dark powers. Um, Jonathan Michael Price IV, Eric's character, was the old 3.5 D&D warlock class. He threw invocations. He didn't so much do spells. But his family, they were already captains of industry, and then they started dabbling in the dark arts, so they mixed the two. But each of these 15 families, and then a bunch of other, what did Eric call them? feeder families, either families that were always small and they just were servants of the bigger families, or they might have once been bigger families, but due to all the internecine fighting that went on, they dropped in status. Or they're just interested in doing one thing. Right, but I mean, they haven't amassed enough power to get into the bigger leagues of the Kabbalah family. It's and funny you mention that, because we could go like into the real world if you're doing modern, like with the Rothschild family. Oh, yeah. Like well, the thing, central bank. like the, the Bilderberg group and all that. Yeah, that, that'll all come in later. And so you have these secret societies that run facets of society, or they'll run certain parts. Like, you may have... Um, the Skull and Bone Society, which many presidents are reputed to be involved in, that's out of Yale University. And later these men go on to become president, but you have, it, it's based out of Yale. And, they, and I'm sure that they have their fingers in all sorts of campus stuff going on and all that, but they learn to later walk the corridors of power in D.C. and elsewhere in the world. And in fantasy, yeah, you would have that, like, oh yeah, this massive kingdom, and yeah, the royal family also has this, and or in modern times, like the Skull and Bones, or in the future, you would have a good example of a secret society that has partial control. Star Trek, Tony, Section 31. Yep. Yeah. Well, there's the always the... Uh, tank Girl, Water and Power. What was that? In Tank Girl, the comic Water and Power. Oh, yeah. And speaking of comics, there's always uh, the hand from um, Daredevil. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Well, I don't know. If you're talking the MCU Netflix stuff, they were going for uh, total control. <laughs> they they made I mean, they were going for total control, but they hadn't achieved it by any means. Yeah, they, they were, were uh, getting pretty darn close, though, from what I remember of Daredevil and the Defenders and Iron Fist. One Force. city. <laughs> well, they were going. Well, no, they had their hands and their fingers and other pies around the planet too. It's just New York because of its focal point and how big it is and how far-reaching it was. That was what they were going to do there. And remember, the hand manipulated events. It's like, oh, you heard about this earthquake? Yeah, that was the hand. Oh, you heard about that explosion? Yeah, that was the hand. So they were manipulating history, and often a lot of these secret societies do that. And in the Kabbalah families, and 
B13, D20. That was something that we said that, that Eric and I put was, yeah, most of the events of the past two centuries happened either because of or lack of cabal influence. They decided not to do to intervene here, but 50 years later, they intervened fully. They were behind it all. Because they... And a lot of these secret societies, the more long-lived you are, the more you can tell that they are... They play the long game. They are looking decades down the road. And it depends on the, the, the type of secret society it is. Now, if it is something like... And I gotta get the name right. Aum Shinriko... They are the people that, the, the cult that did the uh, the sarin attack on the 1995 Tokyo subway. Yeah, they might have been around for a while, but yeah, you don't, they're not exactly looking for the long, now something like the Freemasons or, yeah, they're looking for longitudinal power. So with partial control, you know, future, as I said, they could run a planet because if it's something that is interstellar or even interplanetary, let's say a solar system, you could have a secret society running Mars, which has evolved to full statehood. They're their own planet. And then another secret society on Earth running things. Or, and I, oh my god, I totally forgot. Total Control, One Society, Future. The Sith. I can't believe I forgot that for that old topic. But yeah, Total Control, One Society, Future. The Sith would be the perfect example. They're running everything in the galaxy behind the scenes. And they did it for about 25, 30 years. And then they came back with Part 2 with the First Order. Can't believe I forgot that, man. Um. So yeah, the control levels of secret societies, it depends on their power, their magnitude, the tools that they use. And again, for all of them, especially if it's total control, paranoia is the name of the game. Because you don't know at what level they control and can intervene in your life. If it's one or many societies still, like like Tony said, we've got apps on our phone now that tell what's in our what's in our fridge. And if other people can read that, they can sit there and, you know, control food intake or whatever. Or, like in Person of Interest, an AI that reads your emails and your texts, and things like browser history and whatnot. Yeah, that, that that's a scary thing, because you, you know, you get these warnings on, like, your Avast saying, you know, your browser history can be seen, and it kind of makes you think, it's like, yeah, if I'm a writer and I'm writing something about a criminal novel, they're going to think I'm some sort of psycho, you know. So, but even if you have enough control over information, you can use it very subtly. So, say, for example, you were like some kind of farming collective or food distribution co- uh, collective, and you wanted to get the maximum amount of money out of your products. Well, what you do is you see the demand for a particular product, and you just and you short it just slightly. Okay, which, of course, will drive the price up to be the highest possible for that product without, you know, without causing you to lose, you know, uh, customers. Yeah. Just a little bit more. But when you add those pennies up, they become billions, and you know, and you just do this again and again and again and again uh, it, for a million products, and you're you know you're you're pulling in trillions of dollars that you shouldn't be just through that kind of manipulation. Well, yeah, it's basic economics, supply and demand. Yeah, that, that, econ one hundred and one. But um, you have to have a lot of control in order to be able to implement that as a, as a tra- strategy. Yeah, yeah, and with the growing number of, and I'm not disparaging either set, but I mean, we have, and they're called agricorps, agricultural corporations like ConAgra and, which was ADM. You know, they're they're doing this stuff and they're kind of driving out the family farmer. That's why we had Farm Aid back in the 90s. And so they, they with, with the right amount of technology, they could sit there, well, they could even tell just buying trends, just looking at, you know, shopping trends from various food chains and just figure it out from there. All you need to do is a little bit of forensic, um, not hacking, but just, you know, looking through files and saying, okay, this section of the country needs this type of food, this... 
and just manipulate it that way. So, yeah, control levels, they vary not only by level and one or many societies, but also, again, through past, present, future-based roleplay. Now, the roles of secret societies in your campaign, you're going to have basically, you know, kind of two. They're either enemies or rivals, or they are your friends, allies, and patrons. Now, if they're enemies or rivals, yeah, it's like Tony said, where you trip across something and you find out these guys are hunting you down because you were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And and you know too much. Um, <laughs> that would be where we'd put the dramatic music in. Yeah, <laughs> just... <laughs> gotcha. Dun, 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 dun. Dun. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that'll work. Um, yeah, that is often the most common role for a secret society is that the player characters stumble upon it and they're now on the run or at least on the defensive. Victim by circumstance. Thank you, yeah. And again, I'm going to fall back to B13 where let's say you are John and Jane Q Public. You happen to stumble on something from the Bolt Foundation. Oh, look, they're putting up an orphanage. And then you find out there's something going on at that orphanage or that, you know, homeless shelter. And you stumble on Matthias Bolt's other uh, group that he has, the Brotherhood of Darkness. And so... Right, you find the secret door to the other part of the orphanage that isn't, you know, officially on the map. Yeah. On the, uh, and you find out that the orphanage is actually a front for something else. And so, usually you get, because that's considered a supernatural thing, you get inducted into Bureau 13 and you become agents and you end up having to fight Matthias Bolt and his, you know, various magical defenses and beings and lackeys and whatnot. So yeah, that is usually when you bring, I would say probably 85% of the time, most GMs are going to have, if there's a secret society, they are the bad guy. They're, well, not necessarily the bad, they are the antagonist. As in person of interest, the, uh, John Greer, may, and, I'm, and this series ended in 2016, folks, it's been two years, spoiler alert's over. John Greer was sitting there trying to convince Samin Shaw yeah, if we take out those two guys sitting at the bar, they're planning to drive up the prices of this guy selling faulty airline parts and making a profit for his company, and this guy's buying parts cheap. Granted, over the next five years, 2,100 people will die in plane crashes. If we take those two guys out now, Miss Shaw, if you, you know, take them out later, we're saving 2,100 lives. And that's because Sarah Meriton did that. So, yeah, that's the one time where they're not necessarily... You might see you get in the gray area there. but Well, it's not a gray area. They're just using it as a kind of a candy coating to cover the bitter uh, evilness. Yeah, yeah, they're basically taking away all your free will in order to keep you safe. Yeah. (laughs) So, but yeah, usually you are going to have them as enemies. You're going to run into... The Hashashim, you know, the, the, the Middle Eastern assassins who smoked hashish to gain his state in order to, you know, perform their, their hits. Or you might get, let's see, what's another one? And I have a list here. I've got a whole list of stuff here. Um, hey, you know what we haven't covered? We've covered nothing but modern and, like, futuristic. Why don't we go back and do medieval fantasy? 
Well, yeah, I mean, we well, we, we've been touching on it, but it things like... Yeah, but we haven't focused on it. I've always been fascinated with, like, Druidism and, like, the old, old school, like, Britain, Anglo-Saxon uh, paganism and, like, human sacrifice and Stonehenge. Yeah, you just can't get enough of that human sacrifice. Yeah, I let mean, me tell you. I, yeah, yeah. I'll tell you, if I don't get one in every week, I just don't <laughs> feel like I've gotten anything accomplished. Because people suck. <laughs> people suck, man. The Mayans had it right. Once a year, it didn't rain for three months. You rip a human heart out and let it beat in your hand. <laughs> yeah, it's more like a thousand human And now, months, now, I'm, yeah, thinking, sure, now sure. I'm thinking, you know, thanks. But it was thanks, PG-13. Thanks. I was being conservative. Thanks. I'm, be, I'm, I'm now thinking of Molaram from... Uh, Temple of Doom there with the, you know. Oh. But, yeah, so enemies or rivals, yeah, as I said, nine times out of ten, you're going to learn to hate these guys because they're making your lives a living hell. They're trying to, you know, kill you or at least get you out of the... If if they don't try to convert you to their cause, saying, oh, you know, this is why we're doing this, they're just going to try to take you out outright. Matthias... What? Sounds like upper management. Wow. <laughs> Good thing no one from work listens to this. Anyways, um, yeah, so you're going to learn to hate these guys because they're making your lives just unbearable. They're constantly tracking you down. They know where you live. They Because if they got the power to do this, your addresses are public record. they just like, yeah, you know, you go home and you're going to find, you know, three guys in business suits, you know, glaring at you going, what? You know, you saw something you weren't supposed to. And so, they're going to come after you, and that is the basis for an entire campaign. It doesn't need to be Bureau 30. You could just be, and it ends up being, like Tony Tony and Dana said, a survival game, where you have to go off the grid, and you are being chased by these people, and you are having to beg, borrow, and steal to gain things to fight back against them. And go out of your comfort zone because, yeah, you're John and Jane Q. Public, or what was the one from the... Joe the Plumber. And all of a sudden, <laughs> oh, crap. I have to, you know, leave my life behind. I have to basically go underground. I basically cannot have a paper trail anymore. i got to deal with cash only. And I have to learn how to deal with <clears throat> unsavory elements in order to fight back against these guys. And it ends up being a stalemate. You may end up having to kill a few guys following you. That means they just send more. And better armed. And, you know, better prepared. And so, nine times out of the ten, unless you end up joining a group of your own, like you stumble upon the Brotherhood of Darkness, you get snatched up by Bureau 13. Yeah, you're fighting the shadow battle against the secret society, but now you've got, you are now on the side of Matthias Bolt's equals. So you have... You're fighting fire with fire. Mm-hmm. Now, that that's about balance of power. Um, with motivations... You... With, with your secret society, I mean, it just depends on what they want to do. Like... Bruce said with um, the Brotherhood of Darkness, I mean, Matthias Bolt wants world conquest. I mean, that that's pretty much what... And so he does all these various things, but he will always hide them under a proper, legitimate facade. Yeah, he might have, um, you know, child labor, 
or, well, Matthias Bold, they'd probably use him for, you know, human sacrifice. But he has that orphanage. Oh, yes, I'm helping the orphans, and yeah, all these poor kids who are left without parents, I'm taking them in, and one or two disappear, and it'll just be, well, they fell through the system and all that, yeah, whatever. Yeah, he's using them in order to, you know, try to fulfill some ritual. Because that's how Matthias... A uh, Matthias Bolt, um, master occultist, keep, uh, what was what you put? Keeps old Nazis as a hobby. So yeah, he's that type of guy. He is probably one of the biggest threats of Bureau 13 is him and his Brotherhood of Darkness. But he always does under a normal, legitimate, often, the word, philanthropic facade. Right, because he uses them to protect his most um, sensitive installations by creating a human shield of innocence around them. That's one of the main reasons he does have that facade of of innocence and legitimacy, is because that way the Bureau can't touch him. Yeah, because it's like, well, if you come out and try to destroy my operation, that means my orphanage will suffer too. And Bolt often threatens, yeah, you do that, you're outed. And the Bureau's like, Damn it! <laughs> he got us again. So, yeah, usually the motivations are... And again, depends on the scope. It could be a secret society within a city, or it could be a worldwide thing. And depending on the scale of the secret society, you may not have a place to run. You may not have a permanent place to hide. You may be hiding, going from place to place, always one step ahead. And again, paranoia is the name of the game. Except I always love the movie uh, Hot Buzz. Uh, was like the city council that was murdering everyone. I always thought that was an interesting concept, like talking about like regional or uh, worldwide. Yeah. Okay, um, allies and patrons. This would be that opposite side of that coin. Your characters find out about one secret society, another one picks you up and they gain... And, and, and the secret society will often, you know, give you the base reason to join them you have a better chance of surviving with us than going up alone against them and then of course you're going to look like and your first meeting for business is when i'll be there i'll bring coffee you know so well as you said they're allies they say since you hate them we hate them too let's work together well you got to remember it was said in um star trek into darkness when kirk said the enemy of my enemy is my friend a proverb said by Arabic king who was later beheaded by his own people. <laughs> I, I kind of went, I was like, yeah, that, that, that phrase not always works. Yeah, I mean, yeah, just because we have the same enemies doesn't always necessarily mean ally. Yeah, Trav, it never works. Look at the entire <laughs> history of the United States. All yeah, the dictators, at, all the monsters that we have, we have uh, underwritten and backed and such, yeah. and it has always come back to, to, to bite us in the butt. Yeah. You know what, the Mujahideen in the Russo-Afghan War? Yeah. Arm all the Saddam Hussein, what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, but yeah, so the Bureau the bureau takes in, or I will use the Laszlo Society for Beyond the Supernatural. That's more a private organization, but it's along the same lines as Bureau 13. It is a group of parapsychologists and monster hunters that when you get involved in the supernatural or a cult against a cult, the Lazlo Society takes you and says, no, work with us. We have, you know, psychics and mages and 
lots of guns, you know. In the spirit of Shadowrun, don't forget to invite the non-humans. <laughs> oh, no, because, you know, in a fist fight, I want a dwarf next to me. I want a dwarf watching my back, yeah. I'd rather, I'd rather have a troll. Yeah, ogre or troll, yeah. They are own secret societies. Well, see, a dwarf hits lower. That's the thing. You get that low blowing. Um, okay, and, and so making the PCs useful... I mean, trust, that's easy. It's usually... You'll survive longer if you join us. We have the weapons to counter them easily. And the intelligence. Yeah, we have the intel to let you know what's going on and when they're coming. And, you you know, you can do things like set up an ambush. Um, making the PCs useful. Let's say you have this secret society now as your ally. Because you have unique insight into this particular problem, i.e. your character stumbled upon it, they're going to say, wait a minute, you guys know about the... You stumbled upon this particular operation that this other group was doing. We didn't know about it. You guys stumbled upon it. So all of a sudden, the characters have agency in this game because they realize we know stuff that this group who's been fighting them for decades doesn't. So these characters now have, as Bruce would call it, buy-in because, wait a minute, we know something they don't. They need us. And what's cool with that is you can tie in the value of that information. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to be mercenary about it, and you know, the players are going, "Yeah, we're part of the secret society." I was like, "What's it worth to you?" You know, you're gonna exactly, and you're gonna gonna have that one anal orifice. This is the use of euphemisms for swear words. Who is gonna say that? I always have one player at my table. And I've been running games. Me. Who's gonna <laughs> who, who, What's who, it worth to you? Yeah, right, exactly. He's gonna say that and I get out of this what? Never mind any fact of altruism or self preservation. No, he's looking for a fatter wallet. Um, Camera. Yeah, yeah. But still <laughs> So you're yes, going but then, but then you find out that what you what you demanded of the secret society is actually far less than the worth of the actual value yeah. of, of whatever it is that you did. I mean, you take out, you know, you, you, they help you go after this group. You basically remove some of, some of their competition. That's worth a lot more than the little bit of help that they gave you, but you thought it was a lot. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.